0: Well, we have been in uh, an Advent series here for a couple of weeks exploring, again, the theme of of these angels in Luke 2.14 who come to these shepherds and they declare what we've been singing a lot this morning, this phrase when translated into Latin is Gloria in excelsis Deo, or the angels say, glory to God in the highest heaven, glory to God in the highest, and they say, Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We've been talking about how peace is something that our world is often missing, wondering if it's even possible, but the good news of Jesus is that peace is possible, and not only that, God desires that we would experience an abundance of peace in our lives. We said that peace comes when our lives, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, on who is on what he's doing peace isn't found in the absence of problems Jesus endured some significant problems peace is not found in the absence of problems but rather it is found in the presence of God last week we talked about living at peace with others and we said if you live your life looking to be offended looking for people to make you mad or hurt you or do something wrong you're gonna find it it's going to happen But we have a choice in how we choose to live and respond. That we're invited to follow the example of Jesus and rather than seeking to be right, we should seek to be loving. Rather than seeking to win an argument, we should seek to protect a relationship. Jesus was the example of a living sacrifice. We lay down our lives as a sacrifice for God and others. Because the mission of building his kingdom is too great. And the time that we have on earth is too small to allow small things to cause division in our lives. So we are invited to be a continual blessing even to those who are a continual problem. We have a Bible with you this morning. It might be a a paper Bible. It might be a digital Bible. But I'd invite you to go ahead and get out your Bible, whatever kind you have, and just raise it up nice and high this morning and say, I got my Bible, PJ. I'm so glad you do. So very glad that you have God's words, not just mine. There's going to be a number of passages that we will be looking at this morning. If you have a bulletin, they're all listed there. We're going to have them on the screens as well. You might want to jot them down or follow along and kind of get ahead of me a little bit if you want to, but they're, they're all written there. One of the worst feelings in life, I think, has to be the feeling of waiting. I'm not sure any of us really enjoy waiting, and yet it's something that is kind of common to our life. We spend so much time waiting. You go to the doctor's office, and they put you in the waiting room. You go to one of our theme parks here in Florida, whether it's Disney or Universal or Busch Gardens, and you're excited to ride a ride or visit a character, and you get in line, and you spend most of the day waiting. Waiting. You turn on your computer and you have something you desperately need to do and you need to do it quick and it's it's been a week or so since you've turned it on and you turn it on and you need to use it, but there's updates and you wait for it. You sit in a traffic light in Pinellas County and you wait and you wait and you read a novel and it still hasn't turned to green yet. Oh, you wait. Christmas time. Maybe you've tried to help your spouse out. You've done some Christmas shopping yourself, for yourself, and you've seen Amazon show the little notification, it's arrived at the doorstep, and boy, do you want it. But Christmas is not for another week, and you have to wait. Waiting just isn't much fun, and it often feels even harder when we're waiting on God. When you pray for something, and you're wondering, God, what's taking so long? Are you listening? Have you forgotten about me? Do you even even care about this situation, God? Maybe you're praying that God would heal you from something that's been causing you a lot of pain. Maybe you're asking God to bring a loved one to faith in Christ. You might be praying that God would give you a job with real benefits to provide for your family, to heal you from depression, to save your hurting marriage. To bring you a spouse and yet the more you pray the less you see and sometimes we wonder where are you god i've been praying for years i want to talk to you today about how you can experience the peace of god while you wait on him and i want us to look at what scripture teaches about what god is actually doing while we're waiting If you've ever felt like God was taking a long time and you've struggled with some of those thoughts, God, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing in this, then you are exactly where the people, God's people were in the Bible. And they are waiting on God to send a Savior. God had promised a Messiah who would be the Savior of the world. He he promised this Messiah, this Savior was coming and then not a lot seemed to happen. For decade after decade and century after century. In fact, if you want to know just how long God's people were waiting, we would really have to rewind all the way to the very beginning of Scripture, to the very beginning of the Bible. And you might remember some of these stories that happened early in the Garden of Eden, right? God comes and he creates light and he says that it's good. And there's land and seas and they're good. And birds and fish and animals and they're good. And he creates a man and he says, that's good. But it's not good that this dude is alone. He needs some help. And so he creates out of the man Eve. And Adam looks at Eve and he says, whoa, man. And so God names her that, and he puts them together, and together they are good, and God blesses them and tells them to be fruitful and to multiply, to enjoy the garden, to live life, to eat freely from the tree of life. And there is one tree in the garden that they are not permitted to eat from. And God is not trying to forbid them from fun. He's trying to give them freedom to experience life and blessing and faith, trusting him. And then this snake shows up and tempts them with lies and deception. Points out how desirable the fruit is. And Eve gives in and Adam gives in and they sin And they hide from one another and they hide from God himself and they're ashamed and God brings a covering to them. And as you're reading Genesis 3, there's this kind of quirky verse in chapter 3, verse 15. And many theologians and scholars say this is the very first prophecy that God was going to send a savior, that a Messiah would come. And the verse describes how the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. God says to Eve and to the serpent that there was a seed from the woman that would come that would crush the serpent's head that one day through the lineage of Eve would be born this one who would come, who would make everything right. He would defeat the spiritual enemy and there would be victory and death would be conquered and hell would be conquered and sin would be conquered and humanity would have freedom. And all the way back in the third chapter of the Bible, it was prophesied that God was sending a Savior through the seed of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. And then years pass, and centuries pass, and millennia pass. And as we read the Old Testament, we can actually see that what began all the way back in the garden is this thread being woven throughout the entire story of the Old Testament pointing towards a Messiah who is coming. I love when we have a child dedicated here at Oak Ridge. We give them uh, a Bible that Christia and I and our family found to be very precious to us called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it tells the story to children in this way of weaving the thread throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, saying that every story is whispering his name. It's leading us to who Jesus is. And we could pick up the story in so many places, but today I want to pick it up in Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet who comes 700 years before the birth of Christ. And In Isaiah 7:14, he says the same words that we read as fulfilled in Matthew 1:23. Isaiah says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel." Miraculously, 700 years before the event, Isaiah prophesies about the birth of the Messiah. This same thread that had happened that was spoken of so long ago in Genesis is now spoken of in Isaiah. The Lord is sending you a Messiah that you will call God with us. But then they waited. And they waited. And for seven more centuries, they waited. What is God doing when you're waiting? when you're praying for healing or a blessing or reconciliation or provision? Is God in heaven just being sadistically messing with you because he can? Is he being cruel? Is he being playful? Is he teasing you sarcastically? Is he waiting to show off? What in the world is he doing when he could be doing something, but he's not doing anything and you're the one waiting? They're all fair questions. And maybe at some point in your life, you found yourself asking these questions. And I want to tell you some truth. It's okay to ask real questions and take them before a real God who has real answers. What is God doing while we're waiting? And to try to answer that important question, I want to talk to you or share with you about a period of history that actually isn't in the Bible. It's a period of history that's not recorded. It's what scholars call the intertestamental period. It's a period of 400 years between the time when the Old Testament ends in Malachi's prophecy and the New Testament begins with Matthew. In many of our paper Bibles, we look and we get to all of these beautiful prophecies of the Messiah and the the day of the Lord and what God is going to do and how the the wrongs are going to be made right and there's this little blank page after Malachi ends. And we flip that blank page over and we start reading at Matthew chapter 1. And what many of us don't realize is that there are 400 years of history that happened on that blank page in your Bible. During that time, the reason we don't have any biblical account is because there's no prophecy from God. God is silent for 400 years while his people are waiting on a Savior, waiting on a Messiah, asking God to speak something to them. And probably some of you feel that way. Or you felt that way at some point in your life. You're praying for something, having faith, believing, and yet there's just no word from God. No sign from God. No sign that he's active. No sign that he even cares. And all you want is some kind of an answer. Any answer would be good. Give me a sign, God. Something, anything. And yet sometimes there's nothing at all. What is God doing while we're waiting? Why does he seem silent? I want to remind you this morning that just because God feels silent does not mean that he's absent. He wasn't absent during that white page of the intertestamental period, the period between the testaments, and he's not absent in your life. So what I want to show you this morning is that while you're waiting, God is working. While you're waiting and you're wondering, behind the scenes, the goodness of God, the power of God, the provision and grace of God, he's, he's working. He's working in all things to bring about your good. He loves you. He's a good father who has plans for you, plans to bless you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And just because you don't see something happening does not mean that he's not doing anything. What is God doing while you're waiting? He's always working, even while we're waiting, and even while he feels silent. And in fact, I want to show you a verse in the New Testament that gives context both to God's timing and about this event that we celebrate this time of year, the birth of Christ. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He's been describing how theology works, and he says to them, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God was, had this plan to, to reach Gentiles and God at the set time when it had fully come sent his son, born of a woman, born under the Jewish law to redeem those under the law that we might be adopted into God's family. It happened at the perfect time, in the perfect moment, when the time had fully come. God sent Jesus to purchase us out of a sinful lifestyle to redeem us with forgiveness and grace so that we were no longer children of sin but that we would belong to the Most High God. And he did it in perfect time. The, the phrase in Greek is is two words. It's pleroma chronos. In chronos, you might know, you might think of the word chronology. Chronos means time, and pleroma means complete or to the full measure. What it literally refers to, for, for Greek speakers, pleroma chronos, the, the fullness of time, complete pleroma means If you think of a ship and you put all of the cargo on the ship and all of the things that are necessary to care for the crew and all of the crew and everything that can possibly fit on the ship is on the ship, that's the word picture of Pleroma. I think of going on vacation with my family and we get the suitcase out and you unzip it and you put all the clothes and all of the toiletries and all of the things in it and then you're kind of laying on it and trying to cram the zipper clothes and then you go out to the car and you're packing all of the suitcases in the trunk and you're laying on the trunk like it is, it is full. Nothing else can fit. That's Pleroma. One biblical teacher describes this as saying, the time was fully pregnant I have a little bit of an idea what that meant. I had a wife who spent 40 hours in labor with our daughter. And what it means is that before it's time, it's not time. There is nothing you can do ahead of time that is going to make it come. But when it's time, it's time. It is coming, and there is nothing that you can do to stop it. This is play Roma Kronos. It's God's time. You can't make it happen. You can't force it to happen, but when it is full, when it is complete, when it has reached that moment, there is no power on earth or under the earth that can stop what God is planning from coming forth. And Paul tells the Galatians, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Remember Genesis chapter 3? We talked about this prophecy that God was going to send his son, that there was going to be this seed of a woman. From the seed of a woman would come a Savior who would crush the serpent. And now Paul, millennia later, is writing to the church in Galatia saying that Jesus came, the Son of God came, born of a woman, and this is so cool. See, It's bizarre, in in fact, that Genesis would describe the prophecy of this one who was coming as from the seed of Eve. Because it's a patriarchal society. It's a male-dominated society. Every other time in Scripture, we read about somebody's descendants. We read about males, fathers and sons, the seed of the male and what his offspring, his male offspring would do. And this is the only time that you're going to see the seed of a woman. And why is that? It's because Jesus is born of a virgin. He wasn't born from the seed of a sinful earthly man. Theologically, doctrinally speaking, our sin nature is passed down from our Father. We inherit, because of our father, a sin nature, and yet God had a plan to send his son into the world. And so Jesus was conceived not from an earthly father, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was fully human. He was born as the seed of a woman, but he was not from the seed of a man, so that he was fully divine as much as he was fully human. He was God's perfect son so that he could become our perfect sacrifice the lamb of god slain for us to take away the sin of the world god had this plan back in genesis in the very beginning and when did the seed of the the woman come at the perfect time when the time had fully come when it was just right and if we look back at history I think we can see a little bit why this was the perfect time because sometimes in hindsight you see more of the why behind the wait sometimes when we can look back over our lives we can say i know now why something happened i can see why i was in so much misery waiting for so long and yet god did something now In fact, sometimes when we look back over our life, we have these moments of these prayers where we're like, God, I am so glad that back then you did not do what I was asking for. Or God, I'm so glad that back then when I was asking for this, you did that. I can see in hindsight the why behind the wait. When we look back, we can see exactly why God waited for the perfect time, because his ways are always good. And just because it feels like he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. When you're waiting, our God is working. So back to that intertestamental period, that 400 years. How many of you loved history when you were in high school or college? History was your thing. A few of you loved history. For the rest of you, hang on. We're going to talk history for a moment, but we're, we're going somewhere with it. But what I want to do is just kind of share with you five things that God was doing during those 400 years that everybody was waiting. The first thing, anybody heard of Alexander the Great? We don't have a lot of history buffs. Heard of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the leader of the Greek people, and he took over the known world. He conquered the world. Today we say people are the GOAT, the greatest of all time, because they can dunk a basketball or throw a football. In Alexander's day, if you wanted to be great, you conquered the world. Right? He conquered everything. And why that is significant is because when he set up the Greek empire that covered the known world, it was the first time in history since the days of Babel when there was a common language. Almost everybody started to speak at least a little bit of Greek. The second thing that happened during this time in history is that the Old Testament was translated into Greek. (laughs) Prior to this time, the Old Testament had been in Hebrew, and and God's chosen people, the Jewish people, they could read God's words and God's prophecies, but during this time, sometime around 280 B.C., the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and now the common language that people spoke, they could understand all of these prophecies that ended with Malachi, they could understand what was talked about. Third thing you may have heard about is called the Socratic Method. It was a new way of learning that emerged. And for the first time in history, instead of teaching with one-way communication, just somebody standing up and talking to you, for the first time in history, people could begin to ask questions. They learned by asking and not just hearing. Number four, in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. And the Greek Empire gave way to the Roman Empire. And when the Romans had conquered the world, they decided, we don't have to be at war anymore. We've got time on our hands. They called the period the Pax Romana. What are we going to do with all this time? And so the Romans began making infrastructure improvements. They developed roads and highways and a transportation system, making transportation possible like it never had been before fifth thing that happened was something that was very uncomfortable for the jewish people called the diaspora they were forbidden from living in jerusalem and they were dispersed throughout the roman empire and when you begin to add all of these things up you can begin to see a little bit of the why behind the weight they're asking where are you god what are you doing what are you doing in this season of silence for 400 years they wondered god what are you doing and during that time Suddenly, everyone could read the Bible in a language that they could understand. For the first time, they were not only allowed, but they were encouraged to ask questions of a God who was about to send the answer whose name was Jesus. Out of nowhere for the first time in the history of the world, the good news of the Savior could travel across a common language, across roads and highways, through a Jewish people that had been spread throughout to the Gentiles and beyond. In other words, while God's people were waiting... God was still working. And in the same way, while you're praying and you're wondering and you're hoping and you're asking and you're waiting, God is still working. Always working behind the scenes. And some of you, you're here right now. You feel like you're in a holding pattern. You're waiting and believing and doing everything you know to do. Trusting a God who says he can and yet he hasn't yet. And maybe you're wondering, what did I do wrong? Have I failed somehow? Is it because I have a lack of faith? Is there a sin in my life? Have I let God down so that he doesn't care about me anymore? Biblically, let me just remind you, you're not alone. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years to hold their baby Isaac. Joseph had a vision to, to lead, to rule, to influence, to save God's people. He waited for 13 years most of it in prison for a crime he didn't do. There was a woman who had an issue of blood. For 12 years she spent her time in private agony, unable to function. She was holed up emotionally and interpersonally. She was spiritually unclean. For 12 years she waited until she could touch the hem of a garment of one who would look at her and say, your faith has healed you. There was a man who couldn't walk. Scripture tells us for 38 years. Years, he laid on his mat desperate for anything until Jesus came by and said, pick up your mat, stand up, take it on your own two feet and walk home. While you're waiting and you don't see anything, God is working. While you're hoping and you're wondering, God is working. And a phrase that I hope some of you will take and internalize this morning is that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials just because god hasn't yet doesn't mean that he's not ever going to maybe it's not the time yet you're waiting on it and i don't know what it might be for you you might be waiting on an answer or a miracle or a provision or a relationship and whatever it is maybe the reason you're waiting on it is because it isn't ready God has something He wants to do, something He wants to give you, and it's not that He's saying no, it's just that it isn't ready yet. I think about in our house, sometimes I I go home in the evening and It's been a long day. Maybe I've been at the church office and doing things at the church. Or maybe I've been at the school substitute teaching. Or maybe I've been doing things for the district. Or maybe I've been at the school doing things for the church and for the district, which is very common. I go home and I'm tired and I'm kind of sitting there in the kitchen. Maybe I'm helping Jillian uh, do some things to get some homework done. And Christia, she's, she's had a long day. She's busy and she's been tired as well. But she comes home and she tries to serve our family by going into the kitchen and preparing food. And while Jillian and I are in the dining room doing homework and Christia's in the kitchen, after a little while, smells and aromas start wafting through the house. And I turn into that little cartoon character when those scents walk by. And it starts to carry me up from where I'm at in the dining room into the kitchen. And I I try to be really sly, right? I come into the kitchen and I go, hey, Christia, is there anything I can help you with? And while I'm stirring and she's looking away, I'm trying to figure out what can I reach in and take just a little bit of. And she'll come over and she'll slap my hand or she'll tap me on the side and stop, put that back. You can't have that yet because it's not ready. It's not done yet. And and in my mind, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, you're so mean, I'm so hungry, I just want it now. And she's thinking... No, I love you. And I have something that I'm making for my family. And I want you to experience what I have for you in the fullness of what I've intended. I don't want you to shortcut it and try to take something now. I want to give you, out of an expression of my love, the fullness of what I have prepared for you. Sometimes in our lives, there's things that we want. And we come to God desperate and we go, God, do you know how tired I am, how hungry I am, how much I want it? Sometimes we try to reach out and we we try to take it a little bit early. And sometimes God disciplines us, not because he's a cosmic meanie, but because of his intense and profound love. And he says, it isn't ready yet. I have something for you and it is so much better than you can even imagine. I just need you to wait until it's ready. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we're looking for because it may not be ready. Sometimes we have to wait, sometimes because it's not that it isn't ready, but sometimes you aren't ready. In fact, God will often do something in you before he does something for you. You're waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, God, what is it that you're doing? And God is saying, don't waste the waiting. Maybe he's wanting to teach you to depend on him in a way that you never have before. Or he's revealing his faithfulness in a way that you couldn't experience otherwise. Maybe you made that mistake of praying for patience and he's teaching it to you. Maybe he's knocking something off of you or chipping away at a sin in your heart, conforming you to the image of Christ. It may be that it's not ready and it may be that you're not ready. But whatever's going on, don't waste the waiting. Learn to depend on him like never before. Maybe he's drawing you close to get to know him in a way that you never would otherwise. Don't waste the waiting. Love Isaiah's words in Isaiah 64, 4. It says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. When you wait on God, he acts on your behalf. When you're waiting on him, he moves on your behalf. He responds, he initiates, he interrupts. Isaiah says, no eye is seen, nobody has fathomed, nobody's ever even thought about it. This goes beyond what anybody could comprehend, that you are a God who acts on behalf of those who are willing to wait on you. God's ways are always good. His timing is always perfect. You can trust him. He's not ignoring you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He loves you and he cares about you and he is good. He knows the desires of your heart. And just because it feels like he is silent does not mean God is absent. What is he doing? What's he doing when you're asking and hoping and waiting and believing and praying? While you're waiting, our good, powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God is working. And years from now, when you look back, you may see why the wait was worth it. Christianity is unique amongst world religions. When you think about it, other world religions, in every other religious system, people pursue their version or their view of who God is. They live their lives saying, I have to win the favor of this deity in my life. I I want to try to perform my way to his pleasure. If you're good, you gain favor. If you're bad, you lose favor. And when you look at every other system of religion, people are working their way to God. They pursue God. But Christianity is different in this. We have a God who pursues us when the time was just right, when the time had fully come, when the moment was perfect, God sent his son, his one and only son. God pursued you. He sent Jesus, not for righteous, but for sinners, for the broken. Not for those who are already healthy, but those who are sick. He sent Jesus, full of grace and truth, Jesus, the son who sets people free. We serve a God who pursues us. And maybe the God you're waiting for, what if he's actually pursuing you? What if the God that you're waiting for is waiting for you? Peter promises this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And some of us understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What if the God you're waiting on is waiting for you? He's wanting to draw you deeper into a relationship with him. He's not waiting for you to pursue him. He's already pursued you and he's waiting on you now to see that he is there and present in your life. He's not delaying giving you blessings. He's not slow in the way that we think about being slow. He's patient saying, I'm just waiting on you to recognize who I am, to come to me because I am already preparing to come to you. I have something that is for you. Our God is patient. He desires to be patient with you the same way he was patient with me. When I was an angsty teen, struggling with self-identity, unsure if I mattered in the world, angry at everyone, drawing away further and further into my own emotional cave, seeking how I could somehow prove my worth, he tenderly shepherded me towards a church that was so loving and warm, towards an experience where I could feel what it was like to be used by the Holy Spirit for the kingdom, a place where I could share the hurts that were on my heart with people and be genuinely loved when I was hurting and alone and I was angry and I felt like I'm just going to spend my entire life alone as a single person, he worked on my heart to say, you need to make Jesus the goal and aim of your life. Let me be your highest pursuit, not a spouse. When I didn't understand why doors in ministry that I pushed on and pushed on seemed to be closed, he was moving behind the scenes to open just the right doors. At just the right time. Maybe he's being patient with you because he wants you to come into the knowledge of his goodness, his love, his mercy, and his grace. What if the God that you're waiting on is waiting on you? And at this moment, he's just waiting for you to say, Yes, you've been hurting, and if so, believe me, I, I understand. I've been in that spot sometimes for a long period of time, waiting and praying and wondering, still not seeing the answer, still not seeing the provision that I believed I'd see. There's things even today that I'm still waiting on God for. But with everything in me, I believe His timing is always perfect. He's always good. While I'm waiting, while you're waiting our good God is working. And sometimes it won't be until you have hindsight that you can see the why behind the wait, but God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Often he wants to do something in you before he does something for you. And so what if the God that you're waiting on is just waiting for you, asking you to trust him? to fix your eyes on him, to find peace not in the absence of problems, not in everything going the way we want, not in every relationship always looking perfect, but saying, I know the one who is perfect. He didn't expect me to clean up my life before I came to him, but my God stepped out of heaven and put on flesh, came into time, And so, may the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as you seek to live at peace, even while you wait. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, waiting is hard. It's not something that most of us enjoy doing, and yet it seems like it's something that we spend a long time doing. God, we pray this morning that you would allow us to see you, to see your presence in our lives, to see your goodness in our lives, to know that our good God, He's still working, even when we can't see it, even when it seems like you're absent, even when it seems like you're not speaking at all. You're often doing things behind the scenes, either trying to get something ready for us or maybe trying to get us ready for what you have. So help us today to do what we've been trying to do all series. To be at peace. To fix our eyes not on what is broken, not on what is chaotic, not on what isn't going the way we want. To fix our eyes on Jesus to know that our good God He's present. We'll call Him Emmanuel because He's God with us. So God, if this is a season of waiting if you don't have it ready yet or if you still want to do something help us to experience you while you're working and you're getting something ready that you have for us later. Help us to wait with you. And if you're working on us and you're drawing us deeper and there's things you want to change or transform or conform us into the image of Jesus, then have your way in us. Just be with us. The enemy so often wants to get our eyes on everything else but you. Help us to breathe in peace. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Be with our spirit, God. Grant us the peace that comes from your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. I want to remind you again of the opportunity to give of your tithes and offerings as you exit the building in either direction this morning and want to invite you back to join us next week for a very special Christmas Eve. Again, we'll have a regular service Christmas Eve morning and we will have our candlelight service at 6 p.m. in the evening. Go with God and have a great week.